Kiwi darling, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. I'm delighted to bring you stories from people who have achieved massive levels of inspirational wonder. These are individuals who have pushed the boundaries, gone against limitations and stood up to say, I am here. Come with me on a journey of discovery to find out what makes these people my heroes and I guarantee they will be yours too. I am literally bowled over (laughs) by today's guest. She is at the top of her game and through her work, it's become an absolute game changer. I hate the proper term role model or anything like that because I think it's pressure. Not only is she one of Britain's elite sportswomen, but she's used her own experiences in her field, quite literally, to give opportunities and support to others. If you look at where cricket provision is, it's often in the Lethia wider middle class nice areas so many groups are just not accessing our sport it is the wonderful ebony rainford brent i've been completely blown away by your story actually and the more i get to know about what you've done and i'm gonna say it the legacy that you oh uh, don't don't uh, make me sound sound (laughs) old Look, I grew up around sport and I have this idea of cricket as this sort of elitist, very white, straight male sport. So not far off. (laughs) So what makes a young girl from Brixton go, you know what, that's for me? Do you know what? I would say cricket is one of the simplest games in the world. Actually, if you break it down to like being a caveman or cavewoman, it is a simple sport. The sport itself, like whacking something as hard as you can or trying to chuck it or bowl it as hard as you can. (laughs) I was in South London in Brixton as a... 10 year old I remember someone coming into my school and I had the exact same impression you did and I had to be convinced to try it because I thought it was crap if I'm honest I was just like it didn't seem like me and what I realized I suppose is the sport is amazing like the actual whacking of things the strategy the fun is amazing but I guess what ends up happening sometimes is it's kept to an exclusive club right so the sport itself for me is is actually just great fun just whack something but the actual sport and elitistness is that sometimes people don't get the opportunity to try it so I'm desperate to get as many people to try it as possible because once you get it you love it well I mean you talk about it being this elitist club and there must have been or was there one person or one person in particular that welcomed you in and and really encouraged you did you have someone like that massively so uh, there's a woman who ultimately just changed my life um so when I was playing and I was playing with my local community loads of kids from South London and it was very diverse you know melting pot of kids but the lady who talent spotted me her name was Jenny Wastrak she was sort of linked into the traditional cricket world she saw me and kind of took me under her wing got me scholarships drove me all over the country for most of my years taught me how to knock in a bat. She did everything, fought my case. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have at all crossed over into the sport. I wouldn't have sustained staying in sport and I wouldn't have had the financial support or the resource to stay in it. So sometimes we get lucky that sort of angel comes and, you know, helps you. It really only takes one person, it right? Does, to right? see you and lift you up and give you that. Exactly. I mentioned it before, but yeah, I grew up in a household that was really sport obsessed. Which sport, by the way? Football. Yeah. My dad, especially. My dad watched, but also played, you know, he was the captain of the local football team. 
I went just to check the boys out. <laughs> but sport never felt safe to me. It never felt like a safe space to me. And I think a lot of that was about representation. Mm. And there was never anyone within sport where I could look and go, oh, I see myself I see in that. In Surely that happened for you as a black woman as well. And I want to talk about representation because you've broken the mold. But who came before you? Was there anyone? And how did that feel? Yeah. I mean, I still walk into rooms within our sport 99% of the time you're either the only person of color or you're the only woman or both and I've been walking through the doors of this sport now for you know pushing 25 years and a bit more um, and it is daunting a bit like you just said you don't see someone that looks like you you don't feel like you belong and you question it a lot and that's hence why you know I've done a lot of work now but understanding that kids and young people need to see something that reflects them so that you can connect and know it's possible so a few things happened for me one um Denise Lewis who is my just idol I'm obsessed with that woman she's a friend now but like you know being young and watching her win I remember she winning gold in Sydney and then getting to know her as a friend you know sometimes people are like rubbish compared to when you meet them yeah you should never meet your idols yeah you should never and so meeting her I was like Oh my God, you're amazing. But um, she was someone who I used to like, you know, you got your posters, you got your obsession. She was doing well when my cricket started to take off. And even though I couldn't see any other black females in the world, I would just think, right, like, look at what she's doing. So she was my inspiration in terms of sport. You know, you've got to see people who represent all sorts of different things, like you say, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's gender, whether it's sexuality, you know, yeah. all these sort of things are so important. So it's the world I want to see anyway. For sure. I mean, you were the first black woman to play cricket for England. Yeah. What was that pressure like? I mean, was it a burden? Was it a privilege? Was it both? I remember when I was first told, right, I remember being a bit surprised thinking, well, hold on, like it was early 2000s at this point and or late 2000s and I'm thinking how come I'm the first? So I was a bit embarrassed because I wanted to keep it down. I was thinking, how is this possible that I'm the first? So I didn't really celebrate it within the team. People knew, but no one really sort of said anything. But it's kind of in the last five years where I guess the world is reflecting more on race again. Like it goes in cycles and obviously mm. Black Lives Matter as well as has cranked up the conversation. So I'd say now I realise it's important because I use it as a platform to talk. You know, there's no point in some ways me getting that that title and then not helping others come through the door. So it's a weird one. I hate the proper term role model or anything like that because I think it's pressure. Yeah. I heard Anthony Joshua say it once as he was like, you got to be careful of the role model tag because none of us are perfect. I am definitely not perfect. You could catch me doing all sorts of dodgy things if, if the camera's not rolling. <laughs> so yeah, so I think it's more just being able to use your platform to make a difference and hopefully open the door for more people. Sport in particular feels like it's got such a long way to go. When we're talking about institutionalised racism, it feels, in my mind, just quite at the forefront. So what are your first-hand experiences of that level of racism within the game and within the industry? Yeah, look, I, um, you know, without going into too much detail, because I find it quite painful, but, you know, I've had, I've, I've seen a lot, uh, you know, from the the overt stuff, which is blatant racism, where, you know, you're referred to in derogatory terms, you know, quite clearly sort of been told you're not getting the opportunity because of your sort, you know, all those sort of things. I've had the overt. I would say the harder is the the drip feed of the covert, you know, referring to 
your lot, your type, have you stolen this? You know, those sort of comments that drip through that just slowly eat away your confidence, slowly let you know that in their perception you're less than. And when that happens in, you know, a number of different places within your environment, you know, I I would say the hardest thing for me is keeping your confidence because you're the only one of colour in my world I was. So I would say it's the the self-esteem. I massively change who I am or did more in the past of, you know, when I walked into the world of my sport, you know, I stripped away as much of my colour as I could in the sense of just trying to change the way I speak, trying to change the way I walk, trying to just fit in so that I got less comments. Actually, I don't know if anyone would relate to it, whether you relate to it, but trying to change yourself to fit in is a really bad thing for self-esteem. And I would say that's the hardest thing because it then feeds the cycle, especially with something like racism. It feeds the cycle of people not going into environments, not putting themselves forward, not then being able to break out of different cycles that are affected by race and racial injustice. So it was difficult for me. And it's important more now than anything is that I understand that young people are still going through these challenges. And so we've got to do what we can to just try and open up the conversation and support others through. You touched on it there, it's, it's the delivery of whether it's homophobia or transphobia. And, and sometimes they get sort of repackaged as banter or as jokes. Um, and I'm guessing in, in sports, oh, uh, just <laughs> that happens even more. But when you're the only black player on a white team, that's essentially bullying and it's racism, right? So I, I'm guessing that you've witnessed it Exactly I like would that. say you just put it, the nail on the head as you said that because then what happens when something is labelled as banter is then when you then sort of say look that was inappropriate it's then thrown on you that you're being over the top so it's a form of yes. gaslighting which again this is you know it's a, it's a whole game that gets played and I would say actually the biggest thing I hope is that more people actually start to call out bad behaviour because you know I don't think we're going to expect people to not be humans and say stupid things. But actually, it's more about the support. What I think is the most interesting, I look back at most of my career and I cannot think of stuff that was said, which was sometimes outrageous, anyone ever stepping in and saying that's inappropriate. So that's more worrying, I think, is that you're in environments where people don't call out bad behavior. So that's what I want more for the world, because when people start to stand up and, you know, whatever the case might be, whether it's a sexist thing, racist, homophobic, you know, you need people to to call out so that environments can start to change. How how do you think we can continue moving things forward? Uh, Black Lives Matter, trans rights. I mean, I march every single year for Pride. It's so important to me because mm. for me, that is my movement as, as a queer person to fight for everybody else that can't fight around the world. Mm. So I walk in as many Prides as I can for those that can't. So how can we take Black Lives Matter and keep that message and keep those actions moving forward? Yeah, really good question. It's a good question. I think part of it is maybe what I've gone through over the last year, and I don't know if you ever relate to this experience of, I maybe felt disempowered before when it came to specifically around race, but just, you know, not heard, didn't feel like you had power, didn't feel like you could speak. And I would say you get to a point where you're like, I have to do what I can. And I I think for more people to realise that they do have power, even if you have on paper a lower paid job and you might not feel like a big valued member of society, you have something to say that people want to hear. And so I think one of the key things is more people feeling empowered that they can speak. 
more people feeling power that they can protest or go to causes, could go to pride, whatever the cause that you're fighting for. I think it's important that more of us recognize that our voice does matter and actually we can do things. So even if you're not the driver of a cause, you can be a supporter of it. Once more of us feel empowered, I think we do more. So we might bring up a conversation in the work environment or we might call a friend out if they're saying something. And that is quite a hard shift to do is to feel a little bit more power and that your voice matters. But when more of us do recognize that we can make a difference in our small way, I think then collectively it inspires others to speak up or to stand up. So, you know, for you going to Pride every year, that's powerful because you're around your community and you're continuing to amplify your cause and your message. You know, it's just more of us realizing that these movements are really, really important and every single thing we say adds to the cause. Don't you think the power of showing up as well, that sometimes feels even more powerful that you don't need to be walking in my shoes or walking in your shoes, but you know what? Just show up and and hopefully learn and educate yourselves and understand because that's how we make the real real change right yeah I I remember seeing a really good video it was Rihanna and she was saying something about to her friends she was making a speech and she was like pull up and I mean Rihanna sounds cool when she's pull up I just sound like I'm talking about pulling up in a car or something but she was saying to her friends like you know all of us if we're friends show up for our friends pull up for our friends and um you know I've actually realized I need to do more I would say I used to sit on the fence of apathetic can't do anything can't change anything and then you just get to a point where you get so pissed off with things so it's getting to that point where you kind of there's enough burn and fire in you to want to show up to want to pull up to want to support I would say for me anyway it's not something that comes naturally because I like trying to fit in you know just get on but sometimes you have to make a little bit of noise I mean, you have a voice. I mean, you actually have a voice. You are the voice of cricket now as a pundit. So how do you make sure, especially through all of this, that your commentary uh, reflects the game, in inverted commas, but is still honest and authentic and true to you Mm. and your voice? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question. How do I do it? Um, I think it slips out, unfortunately, because cricket is such a long game. Um, You know, I will find myself trying to really fit in and say the right thing and think what I say I should for the right audience. And then, like, someone will just hit a shot or something. I'll be like, mate, that's a different gravy. Like, he's just bat that. (laughs) Oh, sorry, sorry. I mean, he's caressed that through the... And, you know, you just find yourself (laughs) till the point. Then you get often people coming back saying, I enjoyed that you, you know, said it a different way or whatever it is. So luckily because the game is so long you can only hide who you are for yeah right half an hour and then it's like sorry everyone this is me I think as as I get more comfortable in myself as a person then I'm more comfortable just being me this is one thing I will say is people criticize you whatever you do like I will say something and if you go on social media you'll get a split of people going she's talking absolute nonsense and then you'll get split people going that's one of the best bits of commentary I've heard. And you think, well, hold on, I've said the exact same thing. And some hate, some love. So there is a point where you just got to be you and just let it roll, let it flow and and then pray that you're still hired the next day. (laughs) I want to talk about some of the work you're doing. Last year, you became chair of the African Caribbean Engagement Programme, or ACE for short. And it provides access and support in cricket to all unrepresented groups. Not just the black community, actually, but anyone that isn't represented. And we touched on that. So what experiences your own upbringing encourage you to ensure that 
the sport is an inclusive place to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. It, it was a few things that kind of led to a setting up. One, I still realised, you know, for myself, I'm still walking through this sport after how many odd years and it hasn't changed in terms of representation. If anything, actually, the stat that did it for me is the black community had decreased by 75%, which is just, you know, and the, the engagement and going through my own journey, I could see 100% why. Why is that? Mixture. I think some is the system. So if you look at where cricket provision is, it's often in the lethier, mm. whiter, middle class, nice areas. And there's very little within the diverse kind of inner city. You know, you look at us ball as a whole, actually, the white working class don't get a look in. It really winds me up that so many groups are just not accessing our sports. So when you look at the systems, where... Diverse communities are lower socioeconomic, the provisions are lower, the programs, the talent scouting doesn't exist. So there's that side. And then there's, you know, hardly any role models that look like you. You said it yourself earlier. If you don't Mm. turn on a TV screen um, and, you know, a lot of young people haven't been able to watch cricket on free to wear. And so they're not turning on and seeing anyone in the team that looks like them. You know, it's just a whole layer of barriers that make it almost impossible. And then when you do turn up, like I sort of talked about it, it is quite a tough experience to go through and be in that environment that doesn't doesn't really reflect your values or how you operate. So it's quite hard in some ways. So, you know, with Ace, two things happened. A couple of players came through, one was Joffre Archer and another lady, Sophia Dunkley. And I was like, whoa, hold on. They're making names for themselves. These are role models that could be playing in 10 years. And I was also at a club where I was on the board, which financially well-off club where I sat down with chief exec and said, can we put some money into investing? And we didn't really plan for it to be a massive program. But what happens is we announced it in the media. It went crazy. The community went crazy. We found talent that we didn't even know was out there. You know, talent that aren't getting supported, but they were good. So we got all the talent that we could in, got some scholarships going. And then we started speaking to Sport England, who invested half a million. And, you know, we've gone into Birmingham and now we're looking to go fully national. So it's just kind of snowballed. But what it told me really is that the communities that don't get a look in just need the investment and the connection. You know, it's flying and, and people are engaged and all over it because there's a need and people want opportunity and they want to be included. But equally, if the sport doesn't reach out and let people know this is for them and create opportunities, people won't. So I would say it's most probably my most rewarding thing I've ever done. You know, still youngish, got a couple of greys. I don't know about you. You got any greys knocking on? Uh, no, I cut them out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I feel like I'm knocking on now. So um, even though, you know, maybe I'm not completely old and wise and great it feels like one of the most rewarding things I'm doing because I suppose you're using all your experience and everything that you've connected with to try and just help open the doors for the others so yeah it's something I'm proud of but we've got a lot of work to do I'll tell you what a lot of work but it only takes one person and then those people that you help they help five people and then the landscape of the sport changes yeah the momentum shifts right and I think that's what's amazing actually is working alongside passionate people There's a lot of energy, a lot of passion, a lot of drive, and um, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I want to talk about homophobia, actually. I didn't have it on my questions, but it's just as I'm talking to you, it's, it's something that stays with me growing up, just how people in sport talk to each other and the language they use. Mm-hmm. So there's no wonder that LGBTQ people don't want to come out within sport. Mm. It's such a worrying place. If you were in the closet. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? So I remember the last few years, actually, cricket as a sport, you can see the 
the awareness is starting to improve. You know, the partnership with Stonewall, a lot of the players started to wear laces. There was a bit of collective effort. But I think it's two things is like the demonstration publicly, you know, at a moment versus I suppose that drip feed of every day, that going all the way down to the grassroots club where a young person could walk through the door and feel accepted. And yeah, I think football is a bit of a beast, right? Yeah. Sometimes the, the fanaticism and that nasty side of football fans, it, it, you know, it is such a, a tough place to look and feel accepted. It's not the same cause, but when I look at, you know, the issues around the fans and racism and you hear the chants and I think, I don't know how we change that part of society. I think the only thing that we can do is stamp out bad behaviour on that sense and try and educate over a period of time. The good thing I would say is I feel like the younger generation, when I speak to young kids, I would say 20 and under, to me, they seem much more open mind, much more switched on. I think I have more positivity for the future. Mm. Kids are switched on to climate change, LGBTQ issue, uh, race, gender. I feel like the young generation are, but there just feels like there's a wave above that a lot of people who are just not prepared to open their minds. So I think it's still just doing the work and the work is education, support, campaigns, players speaking up. You know, we had a really good incident in um, cricket talking about speaking up was Joe Root. There was a comment made to him by a West Indian cricketer in the heat of a battle where he said, you know, homophobic slur. He's trying Mm. to put him off. And Joe Root in the moment stopped just in the heat and said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being gay. So, you know, and it was said so authentically that it, it really picked up through social. And I thought, wow, like there's nothing more powerful than that. An England captain in a heated exchange, getting caught on camera. So powerful. Ebony, do you ever think to yourself, I'm such an ordinary person that's lived this extraordinary life? <laughs> I do think a lot, how did I get like in this world? Now, actually, if you know me, I'm mostly the simplest thing is all I really love to do is hang out with my mates, play drums and drink tea and Prosecco. Like, that is the core of me. And then I think everything else is like a bonus. Yeah. I feel like life sometimes just pulls you along. Not that you don't have a choice, but things kind of just happen. And then you have a choice in a moment. Do I do it or do I not? And yeah, I think I just say yes a lot. If I don't actually know, I just, okay, I'll give that a whirl. I think there's, there's something quite instinctive. I, I don't know about you, but when I actually kind of look back at things I've done and I've, I've really realized that all I've done is chase my own personal joy. Mm quite selfish really I've just ran in head first fearlessly into my own joy and as a result (laughs) I've got this crazy weird life and I wouldn't want it any other way but I can't over intellectualize that I think that is a really good way of summing it up you've just chased a lot of joy like I said I just loved whacking a bat and ball and despite everything going on like that was the core of it like you just Chase it. And, and then I suppose when you do just follow that feeling or whatever it is, yeah, it just takes you to some really interesting places. And I suppose mm. you have more energy to keep ticking on. Yeah. I actually have a massive tattoo. Oh, like it's really big. I don't even know why it was so big. It was meant to be the tiniest <laughs> tattoo ever. And it goes around my whole ribs and it says, Fide tui intimai luki, which is like follow your inner light. It's like a translation in Latin. I love I follow that. your intimate light. And I think maybe there is that. You're just kind of following a lot of just in a moment that choice what do I do what does it say to do and we do that as kids right and somehow that gets pulled out of us once the external influence I think as a child (laughs) we we wake up in the morning we chase our joy and it's trying to hold on to that yeah bloody hard yeah it is and I think you need 
people around you who help you do that. So my mum, she always said, as long as you keep your studies up, you can do whatever else you want, really. Well, maybe not whatever I want, because I would love to have partied as a kid, but she didn't let me. But, uh, you know, if you don't have that, which I think, I don't know, without that, you know, environment where I was allowed to pursue things, whether I'd have had such a cool, like, free life where I followed stuff, that's maybe one of our biggest freedoms, I'd say, is being able to follow things that interest you and engage your curiosity it's like yeah that's pretty cool i want to come over your house drink tea and play the drums let's do it like whenever like uh, i make a good cuppa good okay so we're sadly almost at the end but we want to get to know you a little bit more and we do this with every single guest we have on and i would love to know a book that has informed your life yeah good question uh i think this book is it's left it's not left field but it's left field for for it, but it's called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and on paper it's a finance book, but it's really a story of a kid that grew up in a poor household and a kid that grew up in a rich household, and they were friends, so they would go into the house of each other. You know, you pop over, and reading that book, and you know, we grew up pretty financially tight and a lot of challenges at home. And I would say that book shifted my mindset of what's possible because you started to realize there are not different rules, but different ways of being. And I think when you grow up in a lower socioeconomic household, your ambition levels are affected by what you see. The rules are very different, all these sorts of things. And so the book opened my mind up to realizing, whoa, like the experience of growing up in an environment doesn't have to equal life's outcome yeah so it shifted me on then wanting to learn a lot more and I've you know me and one of my best mates read loads of books practically that I think have helped navigate through networking and how to open up your world and how to increase your income and all these sorts of things so I would say it's um it just changed my mind on realizing that even though you grew up in a certain world there are other you know other opportunities isn't about finding a way to unfortunately it's a hard path but navigate yourself into a world that really works not leaving you on the back foot i understand yeah. that fully that was that was a good i like that leaving you on the back foot yeah well i'm saying I, I come from a similar background where once you figure out that it's a bigger ladder to climb mm. you get very scrappy right it's like i'm off i'm doing this i've got it yeah, no one's get... stopping me yeah, yeah exactly yeah. there's rules you've got to learn and you just got to get mm. hungry and you've got to get running right yeah for sure how about a trip that changed your life yeah i would say my first cricket overseas tour was to india um and maybe in a similar way of the the book it just changed my perspective because growing up in london western culture we had ways we did things rules we queue at bus stops whatever it is <laughs> and i remember just getting off the plane we went to Chennai first and just being like blown away by a completely different way society operates a a different kind of energy different culture different food everything was just so different and vibrant and like lively and I loved it again I suppose it I like things that shift your perspective of what you think you know and then actually there's so much more yeah and so yeah the subcontinent i love it you know i've been to lots bangladesh sri lanka india many times um and i think just you know learning eastern medicine for example you know i've had injuries and western medicine for many years didn't work and i tried some eastern practices and it worked and you're like wow like so i think it just opened up my mind to trying different things looking at the world different trying to meet different types of people there's just so much more I mean, you mentioned a few amazing um, people, but particularly women, that changed your life. But is there one in particular, a human, that's completely transformed your life? 
Yeah, I have to say it is Jenny, and Jenny Washtrak mm. is the one I mentioned, the lady who helped me through yeah. my career. And, you know, I, there's a lot of people that I would talk about from family to friends, but she genuinely paved a path that didn't exist and helped hold my hand through it and got me into a sport that, you know, was tricky and she did everything she could financially, mentorship. So Jenny's passed away now, but she's left... Hopefully, I would say a legacy in the sense that now the work that we're doing with Ace comes from the core of what she did. We're kind of just trying to scale what she did. So she's a woman that is close to my heart and genuinely changed the course of my life. Wow. Um, have you ever had a love that's taught you the biggest lesson? I was thinking about that and I was like, I'm not giving away my old romantic secrets, but I'm going to go left field. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I try and stay away because I don't want any dodgy keep, is coming on going old keep on something old. to yourself yeah i would say uh it sounds really corny but a love that i've got back in touch with is the drums more recently i'd let that go that was a childhood thing that i actually really wish that i could have continued because I, I picked it up naturally as a kid and then you know you just let these things go and refound my love for drums over the last few years and it, honestly it's mostly the most free i feel when i'm on it so yeah so i would say that's my that's my biggest kind of love outside of romantic love, which keep that under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> I love that cricket and drums, they could not be more different, but actually, you're essentially, things. you're hitting things, babe. You're yeah, exactly. It's all about hitting things. I mean, this is always such a difficult one, but is there a track that soundtracks your life? It's a tough question because I've got playlists for different moods. I would say the one that I've picked, and I don't know if you know this song, but it's John Legend and it's called Live It Up. And yes. it is a story, like mm. he talks about kind of going from the tough to like now when it's good and you've got to live it up and you've got to max it and have fun. And like every time I listen to that song, it reminds me of the journey of a lot of things that have happened, which have been tough and, you know, really tricky. And I think I would say almost the first two thirds of my life have felt tough, like in so many ways. And, and now I feel like on the side of like, pure joy life is good around good people and it's good and so the, the whole live it up is like right when you've had that max and enjoy it feel all those emotions so i'll definitely say i'm one of those people now who i enjoy the good times yeah um, yeah every time i hear it it reminds me of it but um, uh, music is hard to choose i have a million songs i love it's so powerful when you hear a song that feels like it's speaking directly to you yeah I could talk to you forever. This has been oh, such a gift. Thank you so much. You're so bloody amazing. I've enjoyed every moment of it, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, this has been wonderful. And um, do I need to learn the rules of cricket now? Yeah, you do. I'm going to get oh. you to a game. That's my mission now. I'm going to get you hooked on cricket. Oh, let me just tell you this quick story. I once <laughs> got taken to watch Chelsea because my, my dear friend and my business partner said, look, I come to the clubs with you all the time to watch drag. You need to come and watch Chelsea. I was like, cool, I'll do that. That's a great idea. I'm here for you, babes. <laughs> I rocked up in a pair of leather shorts. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Working yeah. it tight or? Uh, um, they were pretty tight. They were hot panty. <laughs> but I don't know what I was thinking. A flamboyant over-the-top tie-dye t-shirt. And I sulked for the first half because I couldn't get a foam finger. I wanted a foam finger like they oh, used to have yeah, on Gladiators. Yeah, you wanted the, yeah. And once I got my foam finger, I was over the moon. But yeah, it's crazy when you're in an arena like that i found it very overwhelming actually so if if i get you to cricket are you gonna go leather shorts again or I'm, i don't want to again talk about my age but gone are the days of leather shorts <laughs> <laughs> yeah the good old days where they got on nicely <laughs> yeah that's not gonna happen it would be squeaky leather all night long <laughs> 
Well, 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 it's very clear to me now why that woman was given an MBE. Oh, well, if you want more of this, next time we've got one hell of a guest. The one, the only, Beverly Bloody Knight. When you see humans being castigated and abused just because of how they're born, like, really? Seriously? Nah. Not on my watch. It was never going to happen on my watch. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, share, and of course, subscribe.